I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to John, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And while you're turning, I want to just take a quick moment to say thank you to so many um, who have just worked so hard to help us experience the risen Christ. I want to say thank you to our music ministry, to uh, Dr. House, Dr. Rizal, to the orchestra, the choir, all those who have, have worked to, to lead us in our worship. We've had the Palm Sunday experiences, to Confirmation, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and this is the fifth uh, Easter service here today, and uh, God has just been doing some amazing things. Our altar guild who makes sure that everything is set up. So many people work hard to help us have an encounter with the risen Christ. And so we are grateful to all of you for your ministry. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, the resurrection story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet though, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, 
was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Read out your hand. Put it to my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Grief is never easy. When we lose someone we love, the shock is just absolutely unreal. Even when we see the death coming, we're never really ready for it. And it just kind of throws us, and we're not sure exactly how to respond. I try to imagine what it must have been like to have been the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like to be Mary, the mother of Jesus? We, we have our children, and when they're little, we love them so much, and, and, and we work with our kids, we love our kids, we protect our kids, and just imagine Mary had this little boy that would go out and play too, and, and when he would go out and play, sometimes he too would fall down, skin a knee. She would go running to him, be able to pick him up, be able to clean it off, put the bandage on it, and then I'm sure she had the gift that most mothers have, and that's the ability just to kiss it and make it all better. Like every parent, she loved her son dearly. But then he became a man. I can't imagine what it was like to have watched your own son be beaten, to be mocked, to be sped upon, to be flogged with whips, and to die on a cross. can't imagine what it was like for six hours she was at the foot of the cross watching her son die. Grief. And the disciples, imagine what the disciples were going through. They had left everything to follow Jesus. For the last three years, they had spent their lives with Jesus. For the last three years, they were seldom home, but were with Jesus and, and believing he, this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the anointed one of God. This is God's king, the new king of Israel, the one that's going to set up the throne. Oh, they had watched. They had watched as Jesus had performed miracles. They had listened as Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, and wow, could Jesus tell a story? They'd love to hear him tell the stories. They even watched as Jesus was able to bring a man to life. Lazarus, come forth. Wow, no one had seen that before. 
But then they watched as he was arrested. It's no wonder that Peter pulled out the sword. I mean, this is the Messiah. This is God's king, the new king of Israel. And, and so he's ready to go to battle with his Lord. And, and then Jesus says, no, put that away. And, and, and they're amazed when they, they watch him get arrested. Watch him go through all the torture and the agony and then die on the cross. And then Jesus said, it is finished. How can it be finished? We just knew he was the one. We thought he was the one. What's happening here? And Mary Magdalene. It's Mary of Magdala. Magdala is a, is a village that's there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and, and hence the name Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdala. Jesus had healed her. The scripture said she had been possessed with demons and Jesus had set her free. And when she was healed, all oh, did she love Jesus. After what he had done for her, she followed him everywhere. She, she became one of the followers. She became one of the, the inner circle with Jesus. She was one of the disciples with Jesus. There were the 12 apostles, but there were the disciples that, that followed all around Jesus. She was one of the ones who followed him, always there for him. We're told that she was at the crucifixion. She was at the foot of the cross with Mary, his mother. We're told that Mary Magdalene was there when they took Jesus off the cross and took his limp body and wrapped it up in the grave cloths. She was at the tomb. She followed them with Jesus as they, they took his body and placed it in the tomb. She knew exactly where Jesus had been buried. To see Jesus die must have been excruciating, but at the same time, there must have been a little sense of relief after all he's going through. At least he's not suffering anymore. Can you imagine what Saturday was like for the mother of Jesus, for the disciples, for Mary Magdalene? Can you imagine? It was the Sabbath day, and on the Sabbath day, you, you're not allowed to do any work, so they were not able to go and anoint the body of Jesus and, and do the things that you would normally do to show the love for someone that, who had died in your family or that was a friend. And I just imagine. They, they were probably terrified. I mean, we're told that the disciples were in a locked room on Sunday night. You can imagine on Saturday they were locked up. Terrified that the Jews would now be coming after them, that that the leaders, the Pharisees, and the chief priests and others who had put Jesus to death would seek to put them to death. Surely, surely. We're told that it's early in the morning on the first day of the week. Early in the morning, while it was still dark. John tells you that for a reason. You know why he tells you that? It means that Mary couldn't wait to get there. She didn't wait till the sun came up and, and then made her way leisurely to the tomb. She couldn't wait for the sun to get up. She had been waiting. When is it okay to go to the tomb? Okay, I'm leaving now. And she just couldn't wait to get there to be able to show her love for the one who died. To anoint the body and prepare it for final burial. Oh, when she got there, was she shocked. Her grief turns to despair in just a moment. She looks and she sees that the stone has been rolled away and, and her initial response is not, oh, amazing, Jesus must be alive. Her initial response is, oh no, please, God, no. Please tell me no. Has someone taken the body of our Lord? Oh, she's terrified. I mean, 
Grave robbers were a normal thing back in Jesus' time. The burials were a little different than they are for us today. I mean, they, they had the tomb where you would often take someone that had died and they would be wrapped in the grave clothes and laid in the tomb and the, the stone would be rolled across it and then the body would be left there until it had had time to deteriorate. And, and once it had gone through the deterioration where all that was left were the bones, you would open the tomb back up, collect the bones, go bury them in a permanent burial, and then the tomb could be used again for someone else in the family, a family tomb. That's why we're told in the scripture this tomb had never been used before. Because most tombs had been used again and again and again. But that means they're meant to be open and closed and open and closed and open and closed, and that made it really easy. If somebody wanted to bury someone they loved with one of the family heirlooms, the robbers knew you can get in, you're meant to get in. Surely, God, no, please tell me no. Or even worse, was it a final act of humiliation? Was the mockings not enough? The spitting not enough? The whipping not enough? Was the cross not enough? Did somebody want to do one last act of humiliation to Jesus? Did somebody want to mutilate the body of Jesus? God, no, please tell me no. And she takes off running, running running to Peter and John. And when she finds them, she doesn't say, the stone's been removed, maybe he's alive. She said, they've taken my Lord! And I don't know where they've laid him, and they take off running. They run to the tomb, but John's younger, he gets there faster. He gets there and he looks in and he sees the linen wrappings, that the grave clothes that you wrap the body in lying there and he scratches his head a little bit and then Peter, you got to love Peter, Peter the one who acts first, think about it later, Peter comes running, goes straight into the tomb. And he sees the linen wrappings are lying here all together, but the, the head cloth that covered the head of Jesus is rolled up all by itself. And, and that is the oddest thing, because if somebody was going to steal the body, why would they unwrap it? If somebody was going to steal the body, wouldn't they just take the body and then when they get him where they're going, then unwrap him? And if you were going to steal the body and unwrap it, why would you unwrap it and then fold everything back up neatly and put it away? This makes no sense. This makes no sense. And you've got to love John. Because John tells us the truth. The disciples go home. They go home. What else is there to do? They didn't go looking for Jesus. They didn't believe that he had been raised from the dead. They just went home. Mary then is left standing outside the tomb. And she's crying. Her grief is inconsolable. I think she sobbed. When my dad died, I sobbed. I didn't just cry. I've got a feeling she was sobbing. And, and, and so then she looks inside and, and she sees two angels that are there, one at the head and one at the feet, and they, they, they look at her and they say, Woman, why, why are you weeping? And she goes, Because they've, they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. Oh. Grief and despair. 
She looks over and behind her, she sees the figure of a man. She doesn't really see who it is. I mean, she's weeping and, and she's not expecting it to be Jesus. John tells us it's Jesus, but Mary doesn't know that yet. And she thought maybe he was the gardener. And he's, he asks, you know, woman, why are you weeping? And she goes, sir, if you did it, if you took him away, just please tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. I'll take care of him. Just tell me, please. Tell me where he is. And Jesus says, Mary, that's all it took, Mary. But of course, back in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I know my sheep by name. Called her name. She knew it was Jesus. She cries out, Rabboni! Which is the Hebrew word for rabbi or teacher, but it's, it's a more of an affectionate word. It's I guess it's kind of like if somebody says pastor or hey preacher. It's just a little more informal. Just a little more relaxed. Rabboni. It meant, it meant they had a relationship. That there was, there was a closeness that was there. Rabboni. And the next thing we hear is Jesus going, don't hold on to me. Now some Bibles translated don't touch me. Others say don't hold on to me. Some say let go. It's not really clear, but it appears that it's more of the let go. The Greek implies a little more of is let go. Because you know, before Jesus could even get the don't, she had grabbed hold. Because just imagine, you, you're in such grief and shock, and now you know the one I loved is alive. You're going to grab hold, and she grabs hold. And Jesus said, now Mary, go tell my brothers. That I'm going to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And she takes off running again. Second time today she's gone running for the disciples. The first time she went though, she was distraught. This time she is elated. And she goes running to the disciples and she finds them and she goes, I have seen the Lord. And she told them everything that had happened. And they went, this is great news. And they all take off looking for Jesus. Only that's not what it says. What the scripture kind of implies is they... They must have gone, poor Mary. She is so upset and so distraught. She was so upset this morning when she saw the empty tomb and now she thinks she saw the risen Christ. Bless her heart. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making it up because it's actually late that night, that, that evening, that Jesus appears again. And the disciples are locked in a house. I mean, they had not been out all afternoon going, Jesus! Jesus! I checked the temple. He's not in the temple. Well, I checked the synagogue. He's not in the synagogue. Well, I checked over here. Have you seen him? I hadn't seen him. They, they had not been out with a search party because they believed Mary. They're in a house with the doors locked because they're still afraid. They're afraid that, that they too are about to be killed. And Jesus appears to them and, and says, peace. And they're still afraid and don't really believe until, catch that John lets us know, until Jesus goes, look, here's my hands. Look at my side. And John said, then they believed. Then they believed. And they rejoiced. Unfortunately, Thomas wasn't there. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I feel so sorry for Thomas. 
many gets one of those nicknames that sticks? You know, when somebody gives you a nickname and it's not the one you want, but it sticks. I mean, Downing Thomas, who wanted that one? But Thomas was no different than the other disciples. I mean, think about it. Thomas wasn't there, so the other disciples find him and, and they say to him, Hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And, and, Tom, and then they tell him that you know, he showed us his hands, he showed us his side. And, and Thomas simply said, I won't believe it until I see that myself. Remember the other disciples? Mary came to them and said, I've seen the Lord. They didn't believe Mary. We don't call them all the doubting disciples. And when Jesus even appears, they don't get it. It's only after Jesus showed his hands and feet that the other disciples get it. And, and Thomas simply said, I need to see what you saw. And you know what's sad is the next week when Jesus shows up, he sees Thomas and an amazing thing happens, and sometimes we miss it. Jesus saw Thomas and he goes, Thomas, here are my hands, here's my side. And don't you imagine Thomas wanting to go, who told you? But, but John lets us know very clearly that Jesus knows exactly what's in our hearts and our minds before we ever tell it. Remember John chapter 1? I shared recently with you the story when, when Jesus called Philip and then Philip went and found Nathaniel and he says to Nathaniel, who was from Cana, he says, hey Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And, 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 and Nathaniel goes, yeah right, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember that story? And later when Jesus sees Nathanael, he goes, hey, there's an Israelite without the seed. And, and Nathanael goes, how do you know me? And Jesus said, saw you under the tree. Heard what you said. <laughs> and then in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and he goes, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. And he starts sharing all these accolades. And Jesus goes, you know what? When I look in your heart, what I see is that you need to be born again. How did he know? In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, remember when Jesus had conversation with her, she went back to her family in, in the village and she goes, I met this guy who knew everything about me already. Because Jesus already knows everything about us already. He knows among us right now who of us are here because we are so elated to celebrate the risen Christ. And he also knows how, who of us here are, are here because somebody in our family was elated to experience the risen Christ and we had to go with them. And he knows right now who among us is struggling with this because we know the Easter story, but we're struggling with the Easter faith. He knows. He knows. He already knows. And in John 20, he says to Thomas, I already know. Here's my hands, here's my side. And, and Thomas makes this amazing proclamation that gets overlooked because he's got the name doubting Thomas. But it was Thomas who said, my Lord and my God. I mean, Jesus was placed on that cross because some thought he claimed to be God. And Thomas just went, he doesn't only claim it. That is my Lord and my God. I'll tell you that right now. That's who that is. My Lord and my God, I get it. It's, this is hard stuff. This Easter story, we all know the Easter story. You came here knowing the Easter story. I don't think any of you yet, when I read this story, this is my 12th Easter with you, so you've heard the story before. I don't think any of you went, whoa, whoa, whoa. You say that he came back to life. I did not see that coming. <laughs> we all know the Easter story. The challenge for John is, will we embrace the Easter faith? 
We all know the Easter story. The challenge is will we embrace the Easter faith? When does it become more than a story to us, but something that we live our lives on? It's, it's hard to explain this. It's hard to deal with. This, isn't, this is not the easiest story. It, it, it sounds so harsh and it sounds so unreal. And, and so some people argue, well, Jesus wasn't really resurrected. It was a, he was resuscitated. It was a resuscitation. Well, there's some problems with that theory. One is Roman soldiers were expert killers. And the cross of Jesus wasn't their first cross. They knew how to pull off a crucifixion. They knew how to do it right. They also knew what dead looked like. So odds are of the, of, of the soldiers kind of messing up this one, well, probably didn't happen. But let's just assume that it did. Medical experts say that if Jesus had been resuscitated, he wouldn't have responded like he did. Because if Jesus just had been able to be breathed back to life, after the beating that he took that often killed many people by itself with the way the flesh would have been torn away with the blood loss and then hanging on a cross for six hours, had Jesus been just resuscitated, he would have been laid up for weeks recovering. He wouldn't have been walking around a day or so later going, no, he was, this had to be an act of God. Resuscitation doesn't work. Well, maybe it was a hoax. Some people argue that this whole Easter story, it was just a, it was a hoax that was put together to, just to be able to keep the story going. Okay, let's play with that a little bit. But the problem of it is, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to some 500 people. It's kind of hard to pull off a hoax like that. And he said, many of them are still alive today. You would think somebody would go, you know what, I didn't really see that after all. I was just kind of making that up. And we're told that he appeared not only to the disciples, but there were others on the road to Emmaus. There were the other women that came to the tomb. I mean, there are a variety of times that Jesus appeared to so many different people. If it's a hoax, everybody would have had to keep their story straight. Do you know the odds that that many people could have kept a story straight and never have broken the script? Do you know the odds of being able to pull that off? Especially when it's believed that every disciple other than perhaps John was crucified or killed for their faith, martyred for their faith, tortured for their faith. Don't you think at some point one of them would have broken and said, okay, okay, I give. You're right. A hundred feet behind the empty tomb, just to the left of the tree, you'll find the body. If it was a hoax, what are the odds they could have really pulled that off? Not very high. And there are many who claim to be the Messiah, but there's only one who conquered the grave. And that sparked the birth of the church. Dr. Gary Habermas says that the resurrection was undoubtedly the central proclamation of the early church from the beginning. The earliest Christians didn't just endorse Jesus' teachings. But they were convinced that they had seen him alive after his crucifixion, and that's what changed their lives, and that's what started the church. I love Easter. This is the big event. Oh, I love Christmas Eve, too, but I'll just tell you, Easter's bigger. Because if Easter hadn't happened, we wouldn't be messing with Christmas. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, if it hadn't been for Easter, nobody would have even dreamed of celebrating Christmas. 
Easter is what tells us that what happened at Christmas was real. Easter is what tells us that this really was the Son of God, and now here's how He was born. But the Easter story is what validates everything else that Jesus ever said and did. Easter's what validates that when, when Jesus offered us forgiveness of sins, that he could pull it off. And when he offered us everlasting life, that he could pull it off. Without Easter, we wouldn't have the faith. But if you're wrestling with it, it's okay. I get it. Most people do. I mean, Mary Magdalene. She saw the empty tomb, she saw two angels. But it was until she experienced the risen Christ that she believed Jesus was risen. Peter and John see the empty tomb. They and the disciples later hear that I've seen the Lord. But they don't believe it themselves until they experience the risen Christ for themselves. And Thomas... Thomas had the story of the empty tomb. He had the story of Mary saying she saw the risen Christ. The disciples saying they saw the risen Christ. And even he said, you know, this is just, I just, I, I, I just can't, until I see it myself, I just can't hardly believe this. It was after he experienced the risen Christ for himself that he began to believe the resurrection. You know what that tells me? It tells me that you can hear people proclaim the Easter story, but it's until you experience the risen Christ for yourself that you can have the Easter faith. You can hear the Easter story so many times, but it's until you have an encounter with the risen Christ that you can have Easter faith. That's why John, I think, says, you know, there are a lot of other things that Jesus said and did that aren't written, written here, but... I wrote these here so that, well, you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you too may have life in his name. In other words, John wrote this down for you and for me with the hopes that we would experience the risen Christ. Jesus called Mary by name, and she realized who he was, and Jesus is here today, and he calls you by name. The Scripture says... Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I am right there. And we have joined together today in the name that is above every other name, the name of the risen Christ, Jesus. And he already knows who you are. He already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on in your life. He already knows the embrace of the faith or the wrestling with the faith. So here's my prayer. My prayer is that you will hear him call your name and you will embrace the risen Christ. So hard that even says, you gotta let go just a little bit. It is my prayer that everyone here today leaves not only hearing the Easter story, but embracing the Easter faith with a relationship with Jesus, the risen Christ. Will you pray with me?
God, we are so grateful that death was not the end. And God, we are so grateful that grief was turned to joy. That despair was turned to celebration. That death was turned to resurrection. That sin was forgiven. And everlasting life was offered. If we only will embrace the risen Christ. And God, we pray that every one of us here would not only hear the Easter story, but embrace the Easter faith. Embrace the risen Christ. That we might experience the forgiveness that comes from Good Friday and the everlasting life that comes from Easter Sunday. We give you thanks, dear God, that Christ the Lord is risen today. And we rejoice. The Lord is King. Amen. Our altar, always open, and a risen Christ would love to greet you.